We can't create who Jesus is. He's not a myth. He is not a fictional character. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. So we're going to find our text in a crazy place the book of Revelation. And we're going to be in the first chapter of the last book of the Bible, chapter one of the book of Revelation. I entitled this message, Who Jesus Is. Because understanding the true identity of Jesus is paramount in the life of every person who claims to be a true believer. For many have strayed away from this very cornerstone of Christianity, allowing for a flawed foundation. Flawed in what way, some might ask? Well, in Matthew 24, Jesus repeated four times, this is where he talks about what's going to happen specifically in the end times or the last days. He said that many would come and mislead many around us. We see this all around here, especially today, where many religions claim to be Christian, yet they're not. For example, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses claim to be Christians, but they're not. They are not. Now, that's not being intolerant. It's just stating a truth. This also isn't being judgmental towards the sincerity of those that are in that, not denominations, they're cults actually, but there's people that can be in that, that have bad teaching and they're sincerely deceived, you could say. So I've met a lot of people that are Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, and there's some extremely nice people, outgoing, hardworking people, ready to help other people, very sincere. But again, unfortunately, they're sincerely deceived. This is why it's so important for us to listen to what the Word of God has to say concerning who Jesus was and is and who he is when he returns. It's foundational to Christianity. In fact, those not embracing who the Bible establishes Jesus to be cannot be a Christian. It's impossible. It just can't happen. Remember, it's not up to us to decide, you know, it's what God has already established. We don't have any say-so in this, you could say. If we did, it would lead to numerous perspectives. And here's some perspectives. Are you ready for some perspectives of different things? And this is how people can just go off, and this is what I believe. Uh, Six-year-old Austin. Okay, do you want to hear his perspective on Santa Claus? He says, he's an old man. He's got a long beard, and he's really smart, and he knows all about us. He knows all the toys that I want, yes. Seven-year-old Christie's opinion on the Easter Bunny. Okay, he says he's eight foot tall and he has red shoes, big red shoes. Okay, and she said one time he was looking in her window and she was really scared. And I, I don't blame her because if I had an eight foot rabbit looking in my window with big red shoes, I'd be horrified myself. Okay, how about five year old Ashley's version of the tooth fairy? She's really pretty 
and she takes my tooth and she leaves me money. Then she gives the tooth back to God and then he gives it to another baby. So I guess we have reincarnated teeth here, okay? And then my favorite, of course, is six-year-old Tyler's take on the boogeyman, okay? He's really scary looking and he lives under your bed. And if he grabs your feet, you're toast. And I have to admit, I did believe this myself. I mean, for years, to my, I had an older brother and he told me, you know, it's like, hey, the boogeyman is under your bed, you know. And he goes, you got to sleep in the center of your bed. And I would be like this going to bed because his arms were only so long. So if you're in the middle, he couldn't reach you, you know. So, oh, these things that we, that we believe. But, you know, we, we laugh about what these little kids think. But as people get older, they turn these imaginary things to Jesus. Yes, if we ask 10 kids the same question, we're probably going to get 10 different answers. But Christians, they don't have this option of having their opinion. Have you ever heard someone say, well, my Jesus wouldn't do that. Well, I don't know who your Jesus is, but if you're saying he would do something other than what his word says that he does then your Jesus is not Jesus. He's not the Jesus of the Bible. He's some imaginary friend that you've made up. So we can't create who Jesus is. He's not a myth. He is not a fictional character. History tells us that Jesus existed, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived and he died on a cross and he rose again from the dead. He changed the course of time. You know, we have B.C., which is before Christ, in A.D., which is the Latin term, which means anno domini, meaning the year of the Lord. Now, you know, we'll call it CR. It's like knowing the real Jesus, again, is paramount. So who is Jesus according to Mormonism? Okay, well, Adam had sexual relations with Mary. So Adam came back around from, you know, uh, the beginning, and then he had sexual relations with Mary. Uh, So according to Mormonism is they are polytheistic, meaning they believe in multiple gods. In fact, they believe that they can become a god. Okay, so what is this, they can become a god? Yeah, and what, what again is the very first sin that Satan came to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? What was this temptation? Oh, go ahead and eat the fruit. You too can become like God. You can become like God. So they believe that you can eventually become a God yourself. So they are polytheistic, which is, you know, the belief in many gods and you can become one yourself. Now you might think, that's crazy. What, Adam came back? The Adam of Adam and Eve and had sexual relations with Mary? That's nuts. Well, you can read it for yourself. And Brigham Young uh, wrote it in the Journal of Discourses on in volume one, page 50 and 51. So it's there for you to read. Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that Jesus was not God in the flesh. He was actually Michael the Archangel. And so Michael the Archangel, a created angel, came down and died for you, for your sin. Uh, wrong Jesus, I'm sorry. And according to other religions, Jesus is many things. Some consider him, he was just a religious leader. Uh, he was a prophet of sorts. Uh, to others, he was a good moral leader, someone to emulate. Uh, a peacemaker, yes, he was a peacemaker. Yet to others, he was a person to be esteemed. But who does the Bible claim that Jesus was? You know, what was his 
true identity according to the scripture. For Jesus claimed to be so much more than any prophet, leader, guru, or good example. Let's look at our first point here, the Alpha and the Omega. As we read together here in Revelation chapter 1, we'll pick up in verse 4. So it says, John who is the Apostle John, the same John that wrote the fourth gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, so John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. From the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our own sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth were mourned over him. So it is to be, amen. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Wow. Okay, that's a lot. I mean, that's like a mouthful and a half. So let's break this down and make it a little easier to understand. So Jesus claimed to be the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, and he claimed to be the Almighty. He was from the beginning, as the book of Colossians says. Colossians 1.15, again, is one of those dot to dot to dot that we put together. Colossians 1.15 says, and he, Jesus He is the image, something that you can see with your eyes. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. So Jesus is the physical image of the invisible God. So we can see now, he was the image of the invisible God. He's the creator of all things, it says. Everything seen and unseen. He made everything. Make no mistake about it. Jesus was God in the flesh. His very name says who he is. Jesus is from the Greek name, Yeshua or Joshua, meaning Jehovah Savior. And Christ was not his last name, like, how you doing, Mr. Christ? Uh, Nice to meet you. No, Christ was not his last name. It was his title. Christ was his title. Christ in the Greek means Messiah or the anointed one. So it's Yeshua, Joshua, the Christ, and, and you are the anointed one, the Messiah. The Bible predicted his coming in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 of course says there's going to be a child he's going to be born to us as a son and the government will rest on his shoulders but his name will be called wonderful counselor almighty God eternal father prince of peace 
So here we have 750 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah the prophet, who has the lion's share of, of prophecies about Jesus in all aspects of his life. But he says, this son that's going to be given to us, this child that's going to be born, his name is going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Eternal Father. Wow. Crazy. Now, if you have a red-letter Bible, meaning that the words of Jesus are in red, you know, Jesus spoke those words in verse 8 of Revelation 1, where, you know, he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses, they deny that Jesus spoke those words. They just say, no, God spoke those words. So you're saying... The red letter edition Bible is wrong. Yes, those should not be in red. That was God that spoke that, not Jesus that spoke that. Okay. Now, again, uh, this is simply not true. The Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong here. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are polytheistic, okay, meaning they believe in more than one God. They'll say, no, we don't believe in that. But then they say things that deny that. So they believe in more than one God. Where Christians are monotheistic, which means we believe that there is only one God, yet he reveals himself in more than one way. Now this is consistent with the whole Bible. Isaiah 43 10 says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe in me and understand that I am he, God says. Before me there was no God formed, and there'll be no gods after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there's no Savior besides me. So we are monotheistic, which just means we believe in there's one God and one only. So here's God in Isaiah saying, there's not going to be any God. There's never been a God before me. There's not going to be a God after me. And I am the only Savior. Now, again, Savior means uh, the deliverer who is God. Now, somehow, some way, though, God manifests himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three operating in a different capacity, yet they're all one God. Now, this is all consistent with the Bible, because now we go dot to dot to dot. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. You don't get much earlier than Genesis chapter 1, by the way. So you're at the very beginning of the Bible when God says in verse 26 that he says, let us make man in our image. Who's he talking to? He can't be talking to angels because we're not made in the image of angels. We're made in the image of God. So God is one God, but he reveals himself in three different capacities to us. Now, again, how does this work? Well, I have no clue how it works. I will figure it out when we get to heaven. My finite little brain cannot figure out the infinite God who's made 100 billion galaxies with 100 billion stars in them. But one thing I do know is this. That when we see him, we will see him as he is and we will fully understand him. And until then, we just have to understand what the Bible reveals to us that somehow God is one, but he reveals himself in three different capacities. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly. What he's saying is, 
we see like God reveals himself X amount to us and we see that we we kind of have this picture but it, it's dim but one day it says we'll see him face to face he says now I know him in part but then when we get to heaven then I shall fully know him as I have been fully known by him so we have a picture of God in the way that he has revealed himself we don't fully understand it but yet one day we will So one thing for sure, God is one. This truth cannot be denied. And the Bible teaches this. That's why a wonderful verse, again, connecting another dot, dot to dot, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. So this is in the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of God. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, that's what the Hebrew word is there, Yahweh. Okay, the Lord, Yahweh, is our God. Elohim. That word Elohim is plural sense of God. It's it's more than one. Yahweh is God. Yahweh is more than one. Then it goes right back and it says, and Yahweh is one. So here, O Israel, the Lord, Yahweh is God. Elohim, more than one. The Lord, Yahweh, is one. So it's like, so God's telling us this all through the scripture. Uh, I'm one, but I'm more than one. Well, are you one or more than one? Both. Okay. All right. That's what he teaches. Okay. Plus the author of Revelation, the apostle John, speaks about this mystery in depth of the triunity of God. You won't find that word trinity or triunity in the Bible. You just have the teaching of it in the Bible. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so notice what John attributes to God the Father in verse 4. He says, from him who is, who was, and who is to come. Then look at what Jesus attributed to himself in verse 8. He declared, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. And don't miss how Jesus ended verse 8 as he claimed to be the Almighty. Even as he claimed in Isaiah 9, 6 that the child that would be born, his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. Yet even with this, some will dig in their heels and say, This is just God the Father speaking in verse 8. Yet again, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Not an additional book, not some other commentary from some other source of what someone else thinks it says. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So let us reflect on other portions of God's Word to help us illuminate this text. Remember, the Bible, again, is 66 individual books that have been written by 40 different authors over a 1500 year period now again if you tried to get a bunch of chefs in a room if you had 40 chefs in a room do you think you could all get them to agree on how to cook chicken how to put together a good pasta meal I mean, you're going to have 40 different chefs with 40 different opinions, right? You know, do you think, you know, someone who's a, a landscaper is going to agree with, you know, 40 other landscapers on the best way to landscape your house? I mean, do you think, you know, when you get any construction trade on how to build something, do you think they're all going to agree on, hey, this is how we're going to build it? It's like you could never get 40 people to agree on something 100%. But yet, why is it that the 40 people that wrote the Bible that 
most of them didn't even know each other. At least the 32 of the Old Testament guys that wrote the, the, uh, uh, the books of the Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament, none of those guys knew each other. And yet, it all runs together. How does it all agree with each other? How does it all flow together? Because the inspiration that came upon those men to write the words of the Bible was the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, who never changes. He's God. It's the Holy Spirit. So, so it's like, that's why the whole Bible runs together and it all jives. That's why we can go dot to dot to dot to dot to dot. Because it was written by the inspiration. That word inspiration means God breathed through the Spirit of God. And men were just writing down what they were told to write down. Crazy, but true. So yes, again, you know, here we have, you know, the author of Revelation, the Apostle John, speaking about this mystery here. Yes, God the Father, God the Son, it's all right here. So the Almighty God, yet even with this, some, again, will say, no, I don't, I don't believe this. But again, let us reflect on the portions of God's Word to help us illuminate our text. Remember, uh, with the Bible being all these, uh, you know, written by all these different people, it's all going to pull it together for us here with total consistency throughout. First, we're told in verse 1 of Revelation, chapter 1, that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Second, notice the terminology that Jesus used here in verse 8. It says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Now, this isn't some New Testament, you know, type terminology here. This is terminology that has been written all through the Old Testament. So it's like, listen to how God described himself in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 4. He says, I, the Lord, am the first and the last, I am he, the Alpha and the Omega. Isaiah 44, 6 says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer. Who's that? It's the Lord. It's the Jesus and the Lord of hosts. He goes, I am the first and I am the last and there is no God besides me. Isaiah 48 verse 12 says, listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I called, I am he. I am the first and I am also the last. So is it even odd that Jesus would say this about himself? That's how God described himself in the Old Testament. So only God can use this terminology. But yet now Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one says, not only in verse 8, that he is the first and the last, but he is also the Almighty. And now let's look a little further into our text here. For we are never to just pull one verse out of context and try to build a doctrine around that verse. But rather our doctrine comes from within the context of the Bible. So look halfway into verse 17 and 18. Look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 17 and 18. Verse 17 says, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. So, the first and the last, which he just used that same terminology, you know, uh, 10 verses earlier, okay, 9 verses earlier, and he says, now I was dead, but now I'm alive. And look a little farther into chapter 2, verse 8. There's the terminology again in Jesus speaking. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write this, and this is Jesus. He says, the first and the last who was dead has now come to life. 
So we know that the first and the last is God. But when did God die? You know, so when the Jehovah's Witness says, no, verse 8, that's not Jesus saying that. Well, he said it again in verse 17, 18. He said it again in chapter 2, you know, verse 8. It's like in both cases, he is the first and the last, and he's dead, but he's alive again. Why? Because Jesus, the God-man, died, was buried, and he rose again from the dead. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789 Los Angeles, California 90034. 